Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode number two for Thursday the 4th of April 2019. And this is part two of my three-year anniversary episodes. It is a celebration of three years of this podcast today, and I'm going to share 75 things over three episodes that I've learned, which may be useful to you as a self-published author. So coming up today then, as part of these 75 useful tips, tricks, and resources for indie authors, in this particular episode, I should say, we've got 10 writing software services that I like and use, plus 15 writing craft books and audios that I either use now, recently, or in the past. And because these are quite long lists, obviously I'm going to comment on them and tell you why I use them and why I think you should use them too in this podcast episode. But I'll also put a list on the resources page for this three-year anniversary episode. So let's start with 10 writing software services that I use. And I've been fairly consistent with many of these. The first of those is Novel Factory, the Novel Factory. And I've tried a lot of different softwares for writing. In the early days, I tried a lot of the basic ones and the free ones. And uh, what is it? Calibri? Calibro? Is it one of them's a pot group. One of them's a writing software. I can't remember which way round it goes. Um, and, and all sorts of other sort of cheap and free ones. And I didn't really get on very well with them. They were never quite right, to be honest with you. And since I started self-publishing, things have moved on tremendously. But I found and liked very quickly the Novel Factory. And even though I've got access to um, the, the guys, Johnny, Dave and Sean, who run this Story Stop Shop software, even though I bought that, I, I just I just don't get on with anything as well as I do the two softwares that I'm going to give you first. And for planning... I really like the Novel Factory software. Now, Novel Factory software comes in two forms. You can download it or you could use the cloud version. I've tried both and I don't really like the cloud version. I don't really get on well with it. I actually, would you believe it? I prefer the downloaded version on my computer, which I know is a bit sort of old fashioned, but it's the, the look and the feel that I like. And because I don't need to share my plans with anybody, I don't need to go into the cloud, but I, I just find, I back, I back it up on Dropbox, all my Novel Factory files are there, but I just like the planning format and I haven't found anything as, as good as that. So when I'm writing, I have all my character profiles. I have two screens, so I have my character profiles on the right-hand side so I can refer to them at any time. And I, and I, it's just maybe habit. I don't know, but I love the novel factory. You can also, by the way, use it for writing and many other things that I don't use it for. So um, the main thing about the novel factory is that I like to plot out my character profiles in there. So it allows me to have multiple characters. I'm able to put their uh, photographs in. So what I do when I'm when I'm casting a book, I often think of the characters as either uh, people I know or. <laughs> or uh, you know, famous people. It's usually famous people, to be honest with you, characters in films. And it really just helps me get to grips with the character of somebody in my books. I just know who they are, what they look like, and a picture paints a thousand words, doesn't it? So I, that, that's how I cast, and I put character traits in there and, and things like that. I also like to plan in the novel factory. So pretty well, all the books I've done, even in, I think, the early ones that I wrote in the Secret Bunker trilogy, um, maybe I started at the grid. I'm just going to have a quick look while I'm chatting to you. But uh, maybe it was at the grid that I started, actually. But all of my books are in there. Yeah, I started at the grid. That's when I started using it. So uh, by the time I'd written my first trilogy, the Secret Bunker trilogy, I worked out that I need to have a system for this. So everything has been planned in the Novel Factory since. Now, interestingly, at the time of recording this, I've just completed a collaboration and um to kind of try and work in the software that my collaborators work in i had another look at story shop i bought it for a year and i planned in story shop but i really don't like it at all um i don't get on with it at all uh it just doesn't work for me at any level i'm afraid and i know they've deleted it as i've deleted it i beg your pardon they've updated it recently and i have had a look and it's still really not suiting me so i'm sticking for the time being with the Novel Factory. It's very, very cheap to buy. Uh, they used to have a free trial. I'm pretty sure they still have a free seven-day trial, so you could suck it and see, basically. And um, As I say, I've, I have tried the online version, but I don't really uh, get on well with it. It's really about uh, usage, speed, navigation. That Those are the things that really determine whether you like a piece of software. Um, so, yeah, I'm sticking with the Novel Factory for planning. And, of course, the second piece of software... And if you're 
if you're experienced in self-publishing, you'll have heard this a million times. Um, if you're new to self-publishing, you won't have heard this yet, perhaps. But Scrivener is the software that everybody loves to write in. And again, in theory, you can plan in Scrivener too. But but I don't like the planning interface in Scrivener. I, I, I write my books. I write my books into Scrivener every time. Wouldn't use anything else. I love it. And I plan them in the novel factory and that's the the double combo if you want that I wouldn't be seen without when I'm writing so I wrote my first books in well actually I think the first book I think was written in Google Drive if I remember rightly because I knew right from the outset that I needed to have something that was that was backed up in the cloud I, I couldn't be writing this amount of text and not having it backed up so I think I wrote in Google Drive to be fair, it was very good Google Drive. There's not, not an awful lot of problems with it. But the, the, the problems come really in the formatting, um, in the storage, and in the systemizing. And the reason that I like to use Scrivener now is that I've got, um, again, I can't quite remember how long I've been using Scrivener, but I, I found it and liked it pretty early. Um, but the, I in Scrivener, I've created templates so that when I start a new book, I can open a template up that's either 50, I write books of 50, 75 or 90,000 words long. So I've got templates for each of those word lengths in my, in my files. And, uh, and, and they've got all the kind of the beats and the things I have to remember and notes and, and the files are just ready made. So in terms of me systemizing, it wouldn't be as easy, I don't think, to systemize in Word or in Google Drive, but in Scrivener, it really is. Now, um, I, the other thing is, is that it's horrible formatting in Word. Again, things have changed since I started. I used to manually format my books and I used to do it in, in HTML. But nowadays, I write a book in Scrivener. I have all my versions in Scrivener. So as I'm editing, basically, if I write, I have the first draft, I create a copy of the first draft and do my edit on it. And then as I edit it and I get them back from my editor, and as we get to a final version, I've got all my versions in each Scrivener file. And as I say, I have templates for every Scrivener file that I use. And um, I use it, I, I, I sort of put a lot of outline notes in too, but I've got all my books from the grid one I've got them all in Scrivener now. Yep, I'm just checking the file and that's correct. So that makes life really easy for me. But you'll hear people constantly tell you that they love Scrivener. It works on Mac and it works on PC. I haven't found anything better. I write into Scrivener. I like the way that you can color code things, highlight things. The formatting is good. When I've got my final version in Scrivener, I export it and then import it into Vellum. And, and everything I have as, as versions. So if ever I need to correct, it's very easy for me to track those versions, to correct them, to monitor the versions. Um, you know, whereas on Word, it's horrible. Version control, you can either do a save as and call it version one, version two, version three, or you could use track changes, which makes a bit of a mess of things. Um, unfortunately, a lot of editors use track changes. Um, that's the one thing I would like to see with Scrivener. I'd like to see Scrivener. You can, you could write in Scrivener. And then when I send it to my editor, I have to export it as a word file and then I get a word file back with all the track changes and the first thing I do is bring it back to Scrivener what I'd really like to see is a way of making Scrivener I guess more uh, open more attractive to editors because there's so many writers or self-published writers who use Scrivener um, and most of them moan about the fact that their editors then have to go and edit in Word so I'd like to see uh, it, it set up so that it makes it easy and intuitive for editors to work in Scrivener. And then I think we'd really have a tremendous combo. So my two main tools, Novel Factory and Scrivener, those are the ones that I would recommend to you. Clearly, you've got to find something that works for you. The next two tools are for creating graphics to promote your books or for social media. And the first tool is Canva, C-A-N-V-A. I'll put all the links on the resources notes for this episode. And Canva is fantastic, actually. You can even create book covers for it if you want to. But Canva is a free software. I think it's owned by Amazon. I think that's correct. You could use it free. I use it free for personal use, or you can pay for it. If I do pay for it, I what I usually do is keep a $10 credit on there. And although there are lots of images and graphics that you could use for free, I mean, a lot of those, if you ever do want a, a better quality image or something more bespoke, they charge you $1 a time for the licensing. So I generally keep a $10 credit on my account so that if I see a photo that I want, I can just buy it. 
but it's a it's a micro payments. They're tiny payments to access those images. The fabulous thing about Canva is if I said to you, oh, you need to create an image that's 812 pixels by 75 pixels for your social media, you'd look at me, go blank and then run a mile because unless you understand Photoshop and the, the basics of creating images, you would there's no reason why you should even know what I'm talking about there. Now, I know how to do that, but I still use Canva in preference. I barely use Photoshop at all now because Canva makes life so easy for me. But in, in that, it, what it does is, is if you want to have a head, header for your Facebook page, if you want to do a properly sized Instagram post, Facebook post or Twitter post, if you want to create a correctly sized book cover for your Kindle book that you've written. Canva takes care of all of that. It creates templated sizes. It gives you all sorts of template images and layouts and fonts that you could use. And it really just makes image creation absolutely simple. So I think that you've, you've got to, if you're doing any kind of online marketing, which you should be doing if you're an indie author, you need to find and play with Canva. The other tool, which is much more recent to me, I've used Canva for probably two to three years now, ever since I discovered it. The other tool, that, which I really love, is something called BookBrush. Now, BookBrush is a recent tool to me, but what BookBrush allows you to do is to create advertisements. So the sort of advertisements that you would use on Facebook and on BookBub, the sort of adverse, uh, advertisements where you'd want to put five stars, five yellow stars on, or you'd want to have a price tag uh, that has a, a nice price tag button. And Canva doesn't do that so well. So where you wanted to make promotional graphics, particularly, I think, for BookBub and Facebook, but, but, Facebook, but also, um, and I haven't even delved into this, it's so new to me, you can also make promotional videos and things like that with BookBrush. It has a free option, it has a paid option. I've paid for it for the year. I think it's it's less, I'm sure it was less than $90 for the year. It wasn't very much for the year. Um, and, and it's now part of, it's become very quickly part of my my toolkit. So I highly recommend for graphics, BookBrush and Canva, either free or paid. You won't need to pay for Canva. I think you probably would want to consider paying for BookBrush, but it really isn't very expensive to get hold of that. The next essential software that I use is Vellum. And Vellum has absolutely revolutionized self-publishing. As I said earlier, when I started, I was having to use HTML. I'm lucky that I had HTML skills. You can, if you want to, write a book in Word and just import it into into the Kindle dashboard, uh, but it won't look very good and the formatting won't be perfect. Uh, Vellum is is just brilliant. It will help you to produce your eBooks. It will format those files for Kobo, for Google Play, for Barnes & Noble, for Apple and for Kindle, it gets it right every time with the formatting. It will also allow you to format your books for paperback. That used to be such a difficult job when I started four or five years ago, however long it is I've been writing now. It was terrible formatting your own books. You can, if you want, pay somebody to do it, which I have done in the past. I've done all of these things, but when you've got vellum, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. It's quite expensive, so you're going to be paying, I think, I can't remember what it is now, all bundled together. It's something like, is it over $200 for Vellum if you get both formats, the paperback and the uh, the ebook version? Let me just have a look at this. Um, it might be $300 actually with both of them. I can't quite remember, but it, it it's well worth paying for. Where's the price? Come on, guys. Here we go. So, yeah, it's $249. And, and you should guess, I would recommend the option that allows you to create unlimited ebooks and paperbacks because I just got three paperbacks fairly recently formatted. I think that was about $880. So you've only got to write about four or five books uh, and not pay to get them formatted and you're making your money back. But I use it so much. It means, um, again, I've systemized everything now so that all of my books are available in all the different formats and permutations that I use. They're all available in Vellum. So if I ever have to make any changes or I want to update or I've got a new book out and I want to add it to my list, I can go in there and very, very quickly do it. And it's really the, the systemization of all of this. Uh, this is a, one of the pressing reasons for using things like Scrivener, for using things like the Novel Factory, for reason for using things like Vellum is because it's not a big deal. If somebody does find a mistake in one of your books, and it's pretty, you know, if you've done this for any length of time, you know that we're all human, and there's usually one or two mistakes in the book. However many times you read it, there's usually something slips through. If that then gets reported to you by either a customer or by Kindle, you can, in a matter of five minutes, whip out the vellum file, make the change, save it, and upload the change into the 
KDP select dashboard or whatever it is you're using, and that mistake is corrected in seconds. No one died. It's just done in a matter of, of, of seconds without a great fuss. Now, if you don't develop systems for this, and this might not seem important to you when you first get started, but if you don't develop systems for this, all of this stuff is a real pain when it happens. And that's why I like to use Vellum. Now, the problem with Vellum is that you can only use it with apples. And I hate Apple computers. Uh, I really dislike them. I have no intention of buying one or ever using one again. I'm very much a PC guy. And so I figured out a way of using Vellum with PCs. And you use uh, my sixth software that I'm going to mention to you today, which is called Macking Cloud. And what Macking Cloud allows you to do is effectively rent a virtual MacBook to enable you on your PC then to access the Vellum software. And obviously, you've got to pay for the Vellum software. Um, you've got to pay for your license. But it's just a virtual Mac. So rather than having to spend however million pounds it costs to get a MacBook these days, um, you just spend $30 a time. It gives you about 30 hours of use, I think, on Mac in cloud. Um, it lasts a long time. And you can then format your books on this virtual Mac. So now I have done a blog post on this. If you go to paulteague.com, and or just do a web search for vellum on a pc and you will see my guide as to how to use that fantastic vellum software with macking cloud uh, but that's another combination of softwares that i really like so number seven on my list then is mailerlite one of the things you're going to need to do as an indie author is to build an email list of readers because if you have likes on Facebook, if you have followers on Twitter, you don't actually own anything. So if I pulled the plug on Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg decided he got enough billions and he decided to pull the plug on Facebook, all you would have left if he pulled the plug on, if he if pulled the plug on both of those outlets is a, is a, is a sweet memory of followers that you used to have. You'd have nothing left in your pocket, nothing you could take away. So it's really important to try and get people who like your work to subscribe to an email list. And that way you own the email list and you could take it with you and you could change provider, but it enables you to engage with your prospects and customers at a time and place of your choosing. And you own the asset. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't own it. Twitter don't own it. So it's very good practice to do that. Now, the two tools that you'll hear most indie authors using are MailerLite and MailChimp. I've used both of them, but I use MailerLite. I personally use MailerLite in my author business. There's nothing wrong with MailChimp whatsoever. I just find MailerLite, the problem with MailChimp, if there is, it's not a huge problem because I, I use it in my day job as well. I have no problem with MailChimp at all. But I, um, what I would say about MailChimp is that it's more of a Frankenstein's monster that it's added things as it's gone along. Whereas MailerLite was had all the nice bits and pieces that you need straight out of the gate. Now, the other thing is, is when I committed to MailerLite, MailChimp did not include for free something called automations, which are really important in email marketing. Uh, they do now include that for free, but they didn't at the time. So there really isn't very much between MailerLite and MailChimp. But MailerLite is cheaper. That's the first thing. I'd, um, it, the slight differences in pricing. Uh, you could use MailChimp for free. I, th uh, I think I'm correct in saying this, I'm sure it's up to 2,000 subscribers and 12,000 emails over a month, uh, whereas MailerLite is 1,000 free subscribers forever. Um, so slightly less with MailerLite, but MailerLite costs less as you start to get more subscribers. But I prefer the automation system in MailerLite. I also like the landing pages that MailerLite allows you to build. So um, MailerLite is not without its problems. Um, certainly since I've been using it, they had major problem with one of their servers not delivering emails, uh, whereas MailChimp has never had that. The deliverability on MailChimp is extremely good. So um, I, I'm going to let you make your own judgment, but both of them are absolutely fine. MailerLite is the one I use. MailChimp is the one I don't use, or I, I use it in my in my corporate job, uh, and I'm very happy with it. It does a great job, um, but I don't use it for personal use. In actual fact, that's a lie. Um, I've just set up something for my wife, and I've put hers into MailChimp because it's a nice free account. And I had a I have a MailChimp account that I use for training. Um, I, I, would, I think it's fair to say that MailChimp is more widely used than the MailerLite. So it's really up to you which you choose. Both are absolutely fine. The eighth resource I want to talk to you about is Genius Link. And Genius Link is a very clever thing that allows you to send out 
what we call geo-targeted links for Amazon usually. So if I send out a promotion and I'm, I'm based in the UK, my local Amazon store is amazon.co.uk. If I send an email out using MailerLite or MailChimp to, to people who read my books all over the world, and I send them the .co.uk link in the email, they're going to click on that link and Amazon's going to say, you're on the wrong site. You need to go to your own site. It's going to detect where they are in the world and it's going to say, no, you can't buy from this site. Uh, you need to go to your proper site. Now that's what we call friction in marketing. So if you, if I send you to a link and say, buy my book and then uh, you're taken to the wrong link and then you've got to click around and find it on your page on the Spanish site or the German site, that's friction. And no one cares that much. You know what it's like online. You've got to be pretty keen to keep clicking when you're going through frustrations. Now, what Genius Link does is it gives you a link that you can share. And these clever links work out where the customer is in the world and it redirects them to their local store, wherever they are in the world. And that creates frictionless marketing for you as an indie author. Now, I use, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I used a service for free before, but that service merged with Genius Link. And I do pay, I think it's about £3 a month for Genius Link, but it gives me all sorts of things built in there, like affiliate links, uh, tracking, brilliant tracking. And, and, and I'm very happy with Genius Link as a service. So um, I don't know. I don't think it, there's any free options with it anymore. So you're going to have to pay a few quid for it every month. But these are what I call the costs of doing business. I can remember very early on in my career, I used to moan about having to buy softwares and things. And I remember being in a mastermind group where I was pretty well told off for having that attitude to say, look, you, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. If you're in business, you are going to have business expenses. You can't do everything for complete free. Now, clearly you need to be mindful of the things that you can do for free, but you're going to have to have some business expenses. These are the costs of doing business. Um, and, and the costs of doing business for us are getting a decent cover, getting a proper edit. You can't really expect to sell books unless you're magical in some way and you write perfect text that doesn't need an editor and your spelling and grammar are superb. Um, you know, you really got to pay those costs to make sure that you're putting good work out into the world. They're the costs of doing business. We have to take those on the chin. And Genius Link, in, in my opinion, is one of those costs that I'm prepared to pay. Another software that I use that I'm prepared to pay for is myecovermaker.com, myecovermaker.com. Because I've been doing this for a while, not just as an author, but as an internet marketer, it used to be a devil of a job to get 3D covers made of your books. When I started, before I even started publishing on Kindle, I used to make PDF guides or books. And then you used to get somebody... I used to pay somebody to create 3D covers for those PDF guides. And that's how you used to have to do it in the old days. But myecovermaker.com is fantastic because what it allows you to do is to take your flat Kindle cover that we all kind of need to have as a basic and you upload it to myecovermaker.com and myecovermaker.com will turn it into all sorts of 3D images and it will create these lovely images where you've got a picture of a hand with your your book cover on it and it will create a hardback book cover from that kindle cover and it will create paperback versions and it will create piles of your books in 3d so i i love my cover maker now my cover maker has two options it has a free and a paid for option i keep the free option and when i when i've got a new trilogy out when i've got a series out what i do is i then pay for it for a month and i make versions of every single 3d book cover that i want and then I let it lapse at the end of the month. So I kind of, I use it as a kind of pay as you go service because although there's a couple of options in the free one, really you want to be paying for it, but it's only, it's not very much, it's like $15 for a month. I, I will get multiple 3D images of th three books in a series when I use it. So I really get my money's worth for the month. I wouldn't really just let it run month in, month out. I don't think I'd have enough use for it, but I definitely, it just allows you to upgrade have it for a month and then downgrade to the free again. Uh, it's very dynamic in, in its upgrades and downgrades. No messing around, no having to contact support. It just takes care of it. So I find that's the best way to use myecovermaker.com. And again, I've been doing this for so long in the old days. I used to have to get things called Photoshop Actions, which you used to pay quite a lot of money for. And you used to have a bit of technical knowledge to do this. And this is what you used to use to make the 3D covers. And I, again, although I'm, I'm no graphics designer, I was geeky enough to be able to figure out actions. And, and once I'd got a Photoshop action and, and a layered Photoshop file, I was able to hack it enough 
to, to do what I wanted to. But I don't need to do that anymore because I just use my ecovermaker.com. So that comes highly recommended. And the last piece of software in this list for you is KDP Rocket. Uh, and I think you'll hear this if you listen to any kind of indie author podcast, you'll hear this mentioned a lot. And KDP Rocket, again, is not one of those tools I use all the time, but it is something that you need to have these days. Now, again, I'll, I'll try and simplify this as much as possible, but I think most of us nowadays are familiar with the need to think about keywords. So the basic way that we work online, whether we go to Amazon or Google, is we put a keyword in for the thing that we want to find. And then if a good search engine will return web results that basically find what we were looking for. And if Google gave us rubbishy results that we weren't interested in, so for instance, if I did a search for racing bicycles and I got loads of florist sites back, I'd say I'm not using Google anymore. It's rubbish. It's, I, I search for stuff and I can't find it. So the reason that Google has been so successful as a search engine and that Amazon is so incredibly successful as an e-commerce site is because when you look for stuff, not only do they find the stuff you want, they're very good at recommending other stuff to you as well. And the reason for that is because uh, they use keywords and the keywords, people who use keywords well, will be able to benefit from those channels. So what KDP Rocket allows you to do is to, it takes the guesswork out of coming up for, of, for keywords when you list your books on Amazon, uh, but also when you're doing adverts, when you're doing Amazon adverts. It tells you the sorts of things that real people are looking for on Amazon so that you can then match your adverts, your promos with with real life keywords. And certainly when I listed my books, first of all, on Amazon, I just guessed. I put things like uh, sci-fi, science fiction. I just guessed at the seven words that you can put into your books. Whereas when you've got KDP Rocket to hand, then you can basically use some business intelligence to do that and get the right keywords. And uh, I've done, a, I, I still do on an ongoing basis. I do quite a lot of work on the keywords using KDP Rocket because it's a very useful tool. Um, it's well supported. Uh, if you pay for it once, I can't remember how much it is, uh, less than $100. I'm sure of that. Um, I'm sure it's much less than $100. There's no recurring subscription. You buy it once, but it's one of those tools. It's what I would call a cost of business. You, you've got to, you've got to buy it. Uh, if, if you're going to do any advertising, certainly if you're going to do Amazon ads, because it will just save you hours and will give you some really great data. Um, but as I say, all the things I've recommended don't have ongoing costs. Uh, they're one-off payments, which is which is fantastic, except for uh, Mac in Cloud, which I use pay-as-you-go. So I'd, I'd put a 30 dollar credit on it it will last me anything from quarter of a year to half a year depending on how often I'm using it and then I'll top up the credit so none of these force you into paying every month you could upgrade downgrade whenever you want okay so those are my 10 writing software services I hope those are useful for you and I'm going to go into a list of 15 writing craft books and audios so um, when I started out writing very, very keen to get my head around craft and technique, all these things that you've got to learn. And it was really interesting for me researching this because uh, a lot of these books I haven't listened to um, for a long time. I, I listened to loads and loads of stuff when I started, just desperately trying to get all the basics of, of writing sorted out. And when I was going through my purchases on my, my audio books on Amazon, what's it called? Not Kindle, Audible. When I was going on Audible, I got loads of books um, on Audible because I used to listen to them when I was exercising, trying to, to sort of cram as much information about how to write a book as possible. So there's some real gems in here and it's been very useful for me because I've, I'm, I've made in this list books I'd forgotten I got in audible form or paperback form. And I'm thinking, right, I've got to go back to those again because they were great books. So first of all, on that list of 15, is the Red Sneakers series by William Bernhardt. Again, I'll put all these links and titles on the resources page. But um, they're called the Red Sneakers series, and they're brilliant books. These are really good books. And you see, I, I don't think you'll hear about these in normal self-publishing circles, but they're such a great book, a book a set of books. I got the lot. So William's done um, books on story structure, creating character, perfecting plot, dynamic dialogue. I just bought them up. I love the Red Sneakers series and I got them all on audiobook and listened to them while I was exercising. 
great series of books. Can't recommend them highly enough. It'll give you all the basics that you need to know with, um, you know, with your writing. And I'd forgotten I got these books. I just thought, oh yeah, they were great. I must listen to those again because you never stop learning. And I know that if I listen to those books again now, there'll be all sorts of things there that resonate for me in a different way. So those were some of the first books I listened to when I was starting out with this. Next on the list is the Chris Fox series of books. And these are books that I've read more recently, but they're absolutely essential reading, I think. They've completely just revolutionised the way I think about my writing now. They've convinced me about the need to write to market, which I've kind of only half done. I've never really written to market. The books I've just written at the time of recording this, the military sci-fis, are precisely written to market using the information that Chris Fox has put in his books. So the series here, I've got the lot. I bought them all in paperback. They're they're about five quid each, six quid each, I think. Um, I, I bought uh, I bought one of them as an audio book first to try it, listen to it while I was exercising. Loved it so much, I just bought the series. So I have all the series on my bookshelf at the moment. And the reason um, I the reason I have to buy paperbacks is when I when I'm making so many highlights or I'm lis- when I'm listening to the audio, I'm thinking there's so much stuff here. I need to get the book and I need to underline the book so I can refer back to them. Um, so I should probably buy the Red Sneakers series, to be honest with you, because they're packed with great stuff. But I did buy the Chris Fox series of books. They're all on my shelves and there's pencil marks all over them so I can refer back to them. Another more recent book, which I found really, really useful, is Brian Cohen's How to Write a Sizzling Synopsis. Now, Brian shares a lot of stuff for free. If you don't know, he he broadcasts the self, what is it called? <laughs> Begin Self-Publishing? No, what's Sell more bookshop. That's what he does. Crikey. They're all so similar, these podcast titles. Brian co-presents the Sell More Book Show, a weekly podcast, which is highly recommended. And he has a service where he writes um, book synopses for you. Now, I've used the service in the past. It was good, but I've decided my, my personal choice has been to write my own synopses. I, I just I just prefer to do it. I just think there's no one knows the book like the author. I know that could also be a disadvantage, but I just didn't feel when I got my synopses and you can't expect people who are writing to synopsis to read the whole book. I just didn't feel we quite got the essence of the book. So I reverted back to my own. But Brian shares the the skills, the techniques, the process in this book. And that's where I found the true value in this, to take that book, to take that learning, and then for me to write the synopsis. So that, but I, you know, if you worry about writing, I don't worry about writing. I've been writing as a journalist for years, and I'm quite used to writing very short, sharp scripts. So I, I, I would rather use the combination of Brian's book with all of his techniques and processes in there, and it's really, really good, um, and write it myself. That's what I've chosen to do. But it's a great book. However you decide to do your synopses, again, I'd recommend you listen to it or or buy it. Again, here's a a book I'd completely forgotten about. Um, I bought it as an audio book and then had to buy the paperback. I think I've got the paperback. I'm sure I have. I've got so many of these. Yeah, I did. I had to buy the paperback. It's on my shelf. Um, Monica Lionel. Um, and she's written a book called Prosperous Creation, which was brilliant. It was just a brilliant book. And then she's got other books called Nail Your Story and Get Your Book Selling. So most of these I got on audio books first time round. But I'm pretty sure it was Prosperous Creation, which I bought. I, I haven't got my specs on. Let's put my specs on and see if I can read it from over here. Yeah, Prosperous Creation was the one I bought as a paperback. Because when when I'm listening to audiobooks, sometimes you just think, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. Do you know what, there's so much in this, I just got to buy the book and read it again and underline it. And that's how I was with Prosperous Creation. But Monica writes uh, great books. They're really handy books. And um, certainly Prosperous Creation I liked as a as a producer, as an online creator. That's, it really will change your mindset about making money online. Very, very powerful book. But also nail your story, get your book selling great series of books highly recommended next on the list is another recent one for me understanding show don't tell by janice hardy this is something i've struggled with and continue to struggle with i think i've got a couple of achilles heels in my writing and so probably uh, well i know show don't tell is one of those achilles heels i also know that description is one of my problems i i tend to be too light on the description probably don't really enjoy reading a lot of description i like indicative description i don't like i don't like word-laden description it bores me as a reader i skip through it and get to the action and i don't particularly like it as a writer um but i i am trying to add a little bit more description to my to my books but um that's something i i i've got to work on 
craft-wise, uh, one of many things. But Show Don't Tell, this book was great. I'm trying to remember who recommended it. It was Jerry Evanoff, whose podcast I also recommend. Um, Jerry was very keen about this book. I just, when I heard it, I thought, right, buying it. So I bought it. And why I like it is that Janice boils it down to a series of rules that I could apply to a finished manuscript and I can at least start to scan my books and try to proactively identify where I've been um, not following the rules of show, don't tell. If you don't know what show, don't tell is, buy the book and then you'll know exactly what it is. Another book that's been really important to me in terms of my writing is Save the Cat by Blake Schneider. And I think a lot of people have got this book. When you start to write books, you'll hear people giving you different outlines and strategies for getting the key points of a story right, to get the pacing and and, and the mood and the key points in your story correct. And people have got all sorts of different theories and strategies, and it really doesn't matter which one you stick to. uh, But at some point, you'll probably need to find one. And by finding a, a model, a framework, a skeleton for the books that you write, you'll find that it helps you to write better books. And Save the Cat's the one I like. I was telling you earlier in this podcast episode that I have templates I use in Scrivener. My Scrivener files, my template files, all have what we call the beats of Save the Cat. And actually, today, as I'm recording this, I've written, uh, I've just written the scenes, uh, what what Blake, what uh, Blake Schneider calls the "all is lost" moment. That's what I've been writing today. But it keeps my books on target. It makes sure the story hits certain points to keep the pacing going. And you should definitely try and find yourself a, a model that suits you, that resonates with you. The one I like is Save the Cat. You may or may not like that. It may not resonate with you. Uh, but I, I think anyway, I think you'll find that it's a very widely recommended book. And I recommend that you read it or listen to it in audiobook form. Anyway, I bought the audiobook and that was another one where I bought the book after listening to the audiobook because it was so packed with, with juicy goodness. Now, here's another one that I got off Jerry Evanoff's podcast. Um, and that is the emotion thesaurus. I haven't used this in anger yet, but it, but it's really great. Um, and it's by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. I think that's how you say Becca's name. Uh, apologies if I've got that incorrect, but all of these books will be listed by the way on the resources page because I know some of the spellings will be different, but the emotion thesaurus basically is a book where when you're describing how somebody feels rather than saying they were angry, you could go to the emotion thesaurus and then look up what people do to show that they're angry or other words that are related to anger. Um, and, and it just helps you be more clever in your writing, more subtle in your writing. Now, I haven't used this in anger, as I say yet, uh, but, I, but I will do. Um, but I bought the paperback again because I listened to Jerry's podcast and thought, right, I'm having that and, um, and just bought it. And it's on my shelves there ready for reference. Now, here's a series that it was useful for me, actually, doing this this research because I haven't listened to these yet and I I really want to. Uh, A series of audio books that I heard recommended. So I've got to listen to these. I'm still recommending them to you because I know they're going to be good, but I haven't actually listened to them yet and and I need to. They're going to the top of my listening queue. Um, so they're by Dean Wesley Smith, Dean Wesley Smith, who's very well known in writing circles. And he's written, um, books called Killing the Top Ten Sacred, uh, Cows of. And so the ones I've got are Killing the Top Ten Sacred Cows of Publishing and The Sacred Cows of Indie Publishing. Now I can't remember why I heard these recommended, uh, but these are must listen to books as far as I'm concerned. And I, 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 I've downloaded the audio, their exercise. The, the, the pro- my problem is, is I've got loads of books from Audible that I've heard recommended. And I, I tend to listen to, to, I do my listening when I'm exercising in the mornings. And the problem is I've got so many great podcasts that I listen to now that I'm finding it hard to do the audio books. And because I, I don't have to drive anywhere these days, I walk to work, I, I, I walk everywhere, I'm barely, barely in the car these days. I, I can't listen to the great stuff that I've got. So I'm going to need to try and find time to listen to those audio books. Uh, but they are the Killing the Top 10 Sacred series by Dean Wesley Smith. Also, I had these on audiobook, um, only because I could, when I was exercising, I didn't have as many podcasts to listen to. It just allowed me to get through content faster, allowed me to do two things at once. The Kathy Yardley series, uh, they're, they're the, the Rock Your Plot uh, and Rock Your Revisions book. So the, the, the three that I'm recommending are Rock Your Plot, Rock Your Revisions, and Write Every Day by Kathy Yardley, all books that I've got in audiobook form. Now, if you 
have listened or if you're going to listen to my recommended podcasts, one of the podcasts I'm going to recommend is is by some guys called Sean Platt, Johnny B. Truant, and then their mate Dave. But this book is written by Sean and Johnny. And it's quite an old book now, but the principles of it are absolutely spot on for indie authors. And the book is called Write, Publish, Repeat. It's it's a bit of a classic, I think, in, in indie circles. Write, publish, repeat. And back, basically, those three words summarise exactly what you need to do as an indie author. You need to write books, you need to publish them, then you need to write more books and publish them. That's what we do as indie authors. And it's a really good book. I've got the audio book. Again, it's one of those ones that I should listen to again. Um, they have done other books, but that's my favourite. And I certainly recommend it as your starter book. Uh, write, publish, repeat, Sean Platt and Johnny B. Truant. Again, I got the audio book. I would suggest, I don't know, I think that's a better one to listen to than to read. Again, you might not like listening, but I chose to listen to that one. I would listen to that one again, I think. Another book that you'll hear Joanna Penn recommend very often is Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. Again, I got this as an audio book. I remember getting this as an audio book and it has the worst cover on earth. It looks like, it looks like somebody's DIY uh, cover, like somebody's just, I don't know what it looks like. The cover is appalling. It's absolutely appalling cover. It does not look like a best-selling book. Um, so don't be put off by it. I think it's like it's just like some. I don't even know what it is. Some really dodgy drawing of a guy. I suppose it's somebody doing the work, but it looks like he's shoveling coal or something. Um, but it really isn't the sort of cover that you'd associate with a bestseller. Um, but don't let that put you off. It is a great book, um, and and it's basically about about doing the work that if you're serious about being an author then you need to buckle down and you need to do the work and it's just talking about the principles of that and how if you want to be a professional that's what you're going to have to do um not quite as blunt as i'm putting it but it is a really good listen and i think it's generally accepted in author circles as one that really everybody ought to have read now here's a couple of books i completely forgotten that I'd got as audiobooks. Uh, it, it, this must have been right back at the beginning. And when I, when I was writing The Secret Bunker, probably when I decided to finish writing the book, I think I just immersed myself. I just tried to find... Uh, this is probably before I found podcasts, to be honest with you, before I knew that writing podcasts were a thing. I think I was just loading up with as many audible books that I could get to teach me how to write and give me the basics. There's a couple here I'd completely forgotten that are really good. Um, the first one is Fiction Attack by James Scott Bell. And... I don't know, uh, James Scott Bell, I think you'll hear of in indie circles, has written a lot of uh, good books on writing craft. But this book was Fiction Attack. It's a really good book when you're starting out writing. And again, it's one that I would listen to again, um, knowing what I know now, which is not much more than I did know. But I think you can return to these books at any stage and you'll get more from them. So Fiction Attack, James Scott Bell, and Unleash Your Writing by William Stanek. Now, I've never heard William Stanek... Um, spoken about elsewhere and I, I, must, I must have picked it up from somebody recommending it to me I, I may have just found it on a, an audible search but again really good book enjoyed it unleash your writing by William Stanek I got that in audiobook form the penultimate book of this list is not directly about writing but it is very much about uh, being a marketer online and as an indie author you've got to have a website you've got to push yourself at least in a basic way on twitter on facebook all of these things and a book that i found excellent i bought the audiobook first and then bought the paperback because it was so good and it's platform get noticed in a noisy world by michael hyatt brilliant book and uh, when i was listening to it it was one of those books where i was thinking gotta write that down gotta write that down great point gotta write that down and at that point i think i'm gonna have to listen to the audio and then i'm gonna just have to buy the book read it and put markings all over it absolutely great um so highly recommended it's not about writing it's about marketing yourself online building your author platform not and not even about specifically an author platform it's about building a platform from which you can do business why that's important and how you could do it but it really was an excellent book so i i do recommend that one to you uh, both the paperback and the audio and then finally this was another book that i found just right at the bottom of i've, I've got way too many books on audible i have a I buy a yearly subscription and every time I hear somebody mention a book that sounds great on a podcast, I just buy it straight away. 
And um, I have managed to listen to a lot of them, but I do have a bit of a backlog simply because I have so many great podcasts that I listen to. If people would stop producing such a great podcast, I'd be able to get to my Audible queue. Or if I had more excuses, um, you know, to actually do some driving, I'd be able to listen to some of these books. But um, I know I have a big backlog. But another one that I found that I'd completely forgotten about, these are from my really early days of writing, was Fiction Writing Demystified by Thomas B. Sawyer. Again, I don't think that's a name that you'll hear widely in indie circles, but uh, I found it really useful when I was starting out just to get the basics. Tell me what to do. Tell me what I need to be aware of uh, from from writers who've who've done it. It just gives you all the basics. And I would return to any one of these to listen to them again and to refresh my memory and to just make all these things top of mind. So there you go. That's 15 books that I have found useful on craft. Um, and, and I do mix and match quite freely paperbacks and audios. I often like to consume. I don't, I, I've never listened to fiction as an audio book. It just doesn't suit my, my learning style, my retention style at all. But I absolutely love to listen to nonfiction and uh, biography. Uh, I like to listen to as a audio book. I just don't like fiction in audio book form. I just can't retain or hold the story in that form. It's funny, isn't it? How people are very different, but I love, 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 uh, nonfiction in audio book form, which is why so many of those were bought in audio book first. And then the, the book bought second when I found that it was so packed with stuff, I just couldn't possibly retain it. I had, to, I had to get it down in sort of note form or, or reference form in some way. So I've got one bonus tip for you in this episode. And the bonus tip at the end of today's episode is bootstrap your business. Bootstrap. And this is a phrase that you'll often hear when people are building softwares. The concept of bootstrapping is that you try and pay for everything that you do in your writer business or your business with earnings rather than raiding your household income. And bootstrapping has been something that I've done all along in my indie author business. It's quite an expensive business. You've got to pay for editors. You've got to pay for covers. And you may be tempted to say, you may be well off enough to do this, uh, to just keep raiding your income, your salary, whatever it is, and just keep paying for whatever you need. And that might be fine at the beginning, but I think as an aspiration, you need to be trying to bootstrap your business. And by bootstrap, I mean that you're paying for your edits, you're paying for your covers, you're paying for everything in the business from money that is brought in from the business. Now, when I started writing, I have a couple of contracts that allow me to do training. I do training and I get paid for the training. And when I started my business, I didn't take any money out of my household income, if you want. I took it out my freelance training income. So every time I needed covers, every time I needed an edit, I would make sure that I got lots of training sessions booked in. And as I earned the money from those training sessions, I would use that money and allocate it to things in my business. Now, as I've started to get book bubs and as my my income from the books has gone up, I now am able to bootstrap a lot of those costs from bookbubs, the, the revenue that I'm getting from bookbubs. So this all becomes self-perpetuating. Now, at the moment, I don't take income off my books. They generate income, but I use the income I get from my books to pay for covers and to pay for web expenses, all the things, all the costs of business I've been talking about earlier. I my business now at the moment is self-perpetuating. I am not subsidizing my business with money that is allocated for, for the house, for, for domestics. Now, it's important for a couple of reasons, but I think it's a really good attitude that that you, you've got to kind of pay your way with your business. And if you could, and, and sometimes you need to put some seed money in there just to get the thing going in the first place. I, I think that's fine, but I would always caution just watching how much seed money you put in. Just don't keep, you know, you hear of people spending £10,000 on these author packages and, and they, and nothing happens. They get no promotion. They get ripped off. This is what I'm advising against. I think you've really got to keep on top of the money and you've got to look at your expenditure and your income. And, and, and frankly, if after a certain period of time, you, your book sales are just so poor that you can't sustain the business even in a small way, you, you, that's probably telling you you've got to go back and look at what you're doing. What you're doing probably isn't commercial, or if it is commercial, you need to learn some new tricks about selling and getting your work out there. But if you just keep throwing money at it, just keep throwing money at it, that doesn't really give you that accountability. Whereas bootstrapping your business gives you that accountability. If you can't pay your way with your books, 
then you need to, to be quite aggressively, quite assertively finding ways to learn marketing, to, to market better, to do this better. So that's why I'm recommending that you bootstrap your business. I think bootstrapping is a mindset as much as an activity. And I, I've made great efforts to bootstrap my business, but also it helps you to realize when things are getting better. So I had to, every time I wanted to get something done in my business, I had to do training courses. And, and more recently, it's enabled me to do fewer training courses. So that makes them more pleasurable when I do them. And um, because I've got income coming from the books now, and I can chart that progress in my career. Um, and, and I'm, I, it's allowed, it's freed me from being tied to having to do those training classes. Now, again, I can take a training class on and it boosts my income. It, it can earn an, an edit in a day, or it can earn a series of covers in a day, uh, if we get a good training session. So, um, I'm not, I, I haven't wound those down completely, but I have money in, money out, and all that money is part of the business. But the, the other point that I wanted to make is that you are in business, you are a sole trader at the very least, and you do have to account for all of this. And even if you take, say, a thousand pounds out of your household income as a loan to get started, to pay for that first edit, to pay for that first cover, if you are accounting these expenses, and this isn't financial advice, talk, talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about, but um, you can expense that when you start to have an income, you can offset that that money that you had to put in as a loan and then take it out of the business again. So again, talk to an accountant about that. Don't talk to me. Don't listen to me about that. It's the principle I'm telling you about. But if you uh, are on top of the money from day one, if you're accounting for every single expense, I think that's a really good mindset to get into. Okay, that is podcast number two of these three-year anniversary podcasts. You can see now this is running at about 50 minutes. You can see why I decided to record them in, in three parts because uh, they're quite long but I hope they're useful for you remember that the links will be on the resources page by the way because I know there's a lot of stuff in here in the next podcast episode I am going to share with you 10 essential writing podcasts podcasts that I make time to listen to every week plus I'm going to share 10 miscellaneous self-publishing tips with you and I'm going to give you 10 business and mindset books, podcasts and audios. So these are not specifically geared at authors, but they will really help you with your mindset and your business attitude when you are an indie author. And of course, I'll squeeze a bonus tip in there at the end. So I'm dropping episode three into the feed about five minutes after this one. So it'll be in your podcast feed if you want to listen, but I have split them up just to give you a bit of a breather from my voice. I hope that was useful. I'll be back very soon with the part three of the three-year anniversary episodes. Bye for now.